Back in 2010, there was a movie that came out called The King's Speech. And it told the story of King Edward, um, excuse me, King William VI. And he had a problem. And let me just lay the, the scene for you. Uh, Edward VIII was the king. He had abdicated the throne because he had fallen in love with this American woman, Wallace Simpson, who was divorced. There was a big scandal and over in Great Britain. And so he stepped aside from the throne and everything royal to marry this woman. And he was replaced by his brother, William VI. The problem was his brother, first of all, wasn't really all that excited about becoming the king, but his brother had a huge speech impediment and had trouble with stammering and stuttering and pronouncing certain words. Which as long as his brother was the king, that wasn't a big deal because he could just exist in the shadows. But once he became the king and once he came to the throne, he had these royal responsibilities. And he was expected to speak from time to time. And it was a huge problem because he would stand to speak and he'd get in front of the crowd and he would just panic. And the speech impediment would just get worse. And so he knew that he had to do something about it. It wasn't an option to, you know, to say, I'm not going to be the king either. And so he went out and he find a, found a guy by the name of Lionel Logue, who became his speech coach. And they worked together, and Lionel Logue came from Australia. He was not officially trained, although he had educated himself in a lot of these methods of, of speech therapy. And so William had heard about him and went off and found him basically in one of the, uh, one of the poor, um, low-end, uh, neighborhoods of London, went off and found this guy and asked him to become his speech coach. And Lionel, uh, talked to him for a while and he agreed to take on this responsibility. And he said this, I can cure you, but it will need a tremendous effort by you. Without this effort, it cannot be done. And so the two of them go to work on solving this problem that William VI has. And he had some unconventional methods that he, that he tried to try to help him with his speech, including one that was included in the movie that was artistic license and not part of the story where he had him working on his profanity. One of the things that he also had him doing, though, that was true, was he had him working on tongue twisters. And so he would say these tongue twisters over and over to try to work on freeing up his tongue, actually. And so the big moment of the movie, though, was in 1939 and September 3rd, when George is now tasked with this responsibility of announcing war against Germany. And so as the movie goes, Logue counsels him. In fact, they practice this speech together and they've actually found the notes. This is all based on a true story. They found the notes of Logue that actually show the, the speech breaks where he's penciled in. Here's where you need to pause and take a breath that will help you. And he comes out that day on the microphone and he announces to the world that Britain is going into war against Germany. And throughout the rest of his kingship, Logue exists somewhat in the shadows, but is there to help coach him through every one of these speaking responsibilities. Eventually, George passed away, and Logue himself uh, was, was left behind. But he got a letter from the Queen Mother. It said this, I know perhaps better than anyone just how much you helped the king, not only with his speech, but with his whole life and outlook on life, she wrote, I shall always be deeply grateful to you for all you did for him. Isn't that interesting? 
that changing his speech changed his life. And this is what we've been talking about for the last month, how changing our speech can change our lives, and it can change the life of people around us. But I was thinking about this story in this way. Wouldn't it be great if you had a speech coach? Not necessarily to help you with, you know, if you're having trouble pronouncing your R's or your W's, or in the case of George VI, he had trouble with K's, which is really a problem when you're that king, right? But if you had somebody not to help you with your letter problems, your sound problems, but to help you with your problems when you talk when you shouldn't, or when you say the things that you shouldn't say, or when something comes out of your mouth and you're like, oh my gosh, did I just say that? I never should have said that. Wouldn't it be great if we had somebody just there to tap us on the shoulder to say, uh, let's say this, or I would go with this in this situation, or maybe right now you just want to close your mouth. That might be the best plan. Well, what we've been doing for the last four weeks, if you realize this, is we've been checking in with some different speech coaches that are found in the Bible, and we've been getting some advice from them, and here is how to talk better. Here's how to do better with your words. And so what I'd like to do this morning, because I think this is so important, because the weather has affected us a lot this month, because illness has affected a lot this month, we're going to go back and we're going to revisit these speech coaches, and we're going to pull a couple highlights out of what they said that could be helpful to us in our speech. And this is review. And then we're going to introduce one-fifth speech coach here this morning that we haven't visited so far in our talks on what are you saying this month. Because all of us need someone or something to be in our ear to say, hey, uh, let's say this, or this would be a good way to respond, or this would be the right thing to say right now. So let's dive back in. And I'm going to help you this morning. Got a lot of the, the verses that we're looking at. I put them all up on the, uh, on the uh, screen this morning so we can follow. But we're going to start back where we started uh, at the first of the year. And that's with Jesus and what he had to say about our speech. And this is what he said. The good man brings good out of the good stored up in his heart. The evil man brings evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart... His mouth speaks. Or the New International Version says it this way, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And I want to remind us of this this morning, that the words that we speak reveal the condition of our hearts. And this is what Jesus said. He said, what comes out of our mouths tells everybody what's going on inside of our hearts. What we say reveals who we are. So if I'm constantly saying negative things, well, then I have a negativity problem in my heart. If I'm constantly talking about people, well, then I have a gossip problem that comes in my heart, from my heart too. If I'm constantly telling people about, you know, my successes or maybe exaggerating or maybe embellishing the story, I am telling people I've got a either a pride problem going on or maybe I have a a uh, insecurity problem going on and I'm trying to make myself look good. But what we say reflects who we are. So that means this. We need to listen carefully to our words because they're telling us 
what's going on inside. But what that means is it gives us an idea of where we need to go to work. Have you ever found yourself saying something and say, I have no idea why I said that? I never should that was a bad, what got into me? It's what came out of you, actually. And what came out of you, what's already inside of you. And so if we will take time and listen to our words, then we know where we need to go to work in our lives. I've heard myself say some things, and I'm like, oh, did I just say that? And it's not that I said it, it's also that there's the heart that said it. And I'm like, oh, I need to look at that. I need to think about that. I need to go after that. See, here's the deal. We get part of this. That when I say something, there's usually a meaning behind it. Somebody ever said something to you, or and you said, well, what do you mean by that? Or maybe you said something, and they said to you, well, what do you mean by that? And a lot of times there's a meaning behind the words, but there's more than just a meaning behind our words. There's a motive behind our words. We say what we say because we are trying to accomplish something. And sometimes it's just very, very, you know, neutral. You know, we're just trying to give information or whatever. But sometimes we're saying things because we're trying to make you impressed by me. Or or maybe I say something because I'm trying to get my own way. Or maybe I'm saying something because I'm trying to put you in your place. And so it's not just the what we say, it's the why we say it. It's not just the meanings, it's the motives. And so we've had this whole series we called What Are You Saying? It's not just the words, it's the what behind the words. And if we listen to Jesus, we can listen to what we say and get an idea of what's going on inside us. But then we need to do the second part, which is we need to listen to the words of others. The interesting thing about this verse that we put up here that Jesus mentioned is it comes at the end of a passage in Luke chapter 6 where Jesus has been talking about the the splinter and the beam. Where Jesus has been talking about the tendency that we all have to be judgmental. And, and Jesus says, you don't want to be the person who walks around with the, with the beam banging into people while you're trying to pull splinters out of their eyes. But the interesting thing about that passage is, Jesus is challenging us not to be that person, but he's also challenging us to look out for that person. And that verse is in summary to say, hey, if you see a person who's running around judging people, running around uh, criticizing people, running around running people down with their beam sticking out of their eyes, Take note of that because there's something wrong on the inside. And so when we look at this whole speech idea, part of it is to step back and to say, okay, what are you saying? Because Jesus says in that same passage, if the blind follows the blind, they fall into the pit. And if we aren't careful, we become like that person too. We become proud. We become judgmental. We become critical. And so the challenge to us is to listen carefully to our words, but also to listen to the words of others. Well, our next coach was a guy by the name of James, who was the brother of Jesus. And he wrote the book of James, and a lot of that was just practical advice for living out your faith. And he says this in James 1.19-20, he says, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And he goes on. 
For man's anger does not bring about the righteousness that God desires. And so here is the next thing that our coaches tell us. That one of our most powerful communication tools is the tool of listening. And this is where God's been doing a lot in my story, is to learn to become a better listener. Because this is where I go. I listen to respond. So I listen to what you say, and when you're done saying, I use that to frame what I'm going to say because i got something I want to say. So my listening is just getting me the, the material I need or the entry point so I can go ahead with what I have in mind here. Or my listening sometimes is just tuned out, and I'm just waiting for the break, right? Like whenever you're done, whenever my turn is, I've got something I want to say here. But what James is saying here, and which is so important for us, is that we need to listen to learn. We said it this way, I can't offer an informed response if I'm not getting the information. But for most of us, when we're in conversations with people, we're so busy saying what we want to say that we don't listen to what they have to say. And so we miss what they're saying, and sometimes we miss the heart behind what they're saying. And we go off and we say things that we shouldn't say. Now let me just remind us again, the object here isn't to listen to agree. The object is simply to listen to understand. So I listen to you. I might even ask questions. I might repeat whatever because I want to make sure I understand what you're saying. I may not agree with it, and I don't necessarily have to agree with it. But when I take the time to listen enough to understand, I have said to you, I value your input. I value your thinking here. Let me take a minute to consider that. Which leads us to the next thing that James says. Hey, not only be quick and don't miss that, that he said be quick to listen, not get around to it, start there. He goes on, he says we should be slow to speak, and that's the next thing, right? Be slow to speak. Most of us get ourselves in trouble when we speak without taking time to think. And James is simply saying here, you will help yourself in your speech and in your conversations, especially in your disagreements and your arguments, if you would slow down, pause before you respond. I think some of us, we're worried that if we pause, we might not get a chance to jump in. And the person that we're listening to might just keep right on going. That'd probably be okay, wouldn't it? But if we would be slow to speak, we would be so much better off. How many of us have gotten ourselves in trouble because we just said the first thing that came to our mind? Have you noticed that usually the first thing that comes to your mind is not the best thing that could come to your mind? And this is what James is saying, hey, be slow to speak. Give yourself time. A pause really isn't going to cost you anything significant. Remember, we're here to learn from each other, not to defend. And he goes on there and he says, not only be slow to speak, you should be slow to anger. And we need to avoid anger in making attempts to overpower. 
a lot of times, especially in, in this whole context, it was about disagreeing agreeably. And, and by the way, if you've missed Sundays this month, I would encourage you to go back and, and get online and uh, download and listen to the, some of these messages, which are, this is just a condensed version of that. But we have a tendency when we're, especially in the disagreement, to feel threatened. And when we feel threatened, we try to become bigger than the other person. My, my dear dog who passed away about a year ago, but he was, he was this German shepherd mix. And if you've ever, if you want to know what Max looked like, just kind of think of the wolf from Little Red Riding Hood. That was his look. I mean, he looked, uh, we would take him for walks and kids would say, Oh, mom, look at the coyote. And so he was kind of this really mean looking dog and he had a bark that was like, Rawr. and, uh, there wasn't an ounce of fat on that dog. He was the, I mean, and then there would this, be this squirrel that would come up and chatter at him. And Max would get all worked up. But you know the first thing would happen? All of his hair would stand up. So he'd look bigger. Like, I mean, the, the greatest thing that ever... He, he chased squirrels his whole life. He only caught two. One of them was very ill. And the other one was when he was on the deck one day in the, in the tree above us, the squirrel fell out of his nest and landed on the deck and it instantly killed the squirrel. And Max jumped up and grabbed the squirrel and paraded off with that squirrel like, look guys, I finally got you. But you know what? Max didn't really need to puff himself up because he was big enough and he was strong enough already. And when we do that in our situations, when we get angry, which is just an idea, we get angry because then we become intimidating. And when we use loudness or when we issue threats or when we storm up or when we ramp up the hyperbole or we add universals and all those things, we're just trying to overwhelm the other person and we're actually admitting that the reasoning behind our arguments and thinking is run out. And so James says, what? Hey, be quick to listen. Be slow to speak. And really, be slow to go to that trying to overpower and win the argument by being bigger than or intimidating. Here's a question for you. Have you ever won an argument where you really got big and angry and loud? Did you really win? Or did the other person just finally look at you and go like, eh, it's not worth it. I'm out of here. And James makes a big point about this, that winning is not about winning. And winning is not about being right. In fact, it's more important that you act right than that you are right. And so many times in our arguments, I'm in this thing like, well, I have to prove that I'm right. And James says, nah. Not really. You need to be righteous and act right. You need to worry about the relationship. You need to get this resolved and you need to not worry so much about being right. And so James has a lot for us in his coaching when it comes especially to those disagreements and those conflicts that we have in life. Well, Mark shared on the third week and he used Solomon as the coach, so to speak. In the book of Proverbs, and the book of Proverbs is filled with things that talk about our communication. But this is the key verse that Mark used, and so let me bring it up here. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. And here's the point. 
Never underestimate the power of your words. A word that you say that you may think is insignificant can do incredible damage. In fact, some of you could probably think back even to your childhood when a teacher or a bully at school or a parent or somebody else said something that deeply wounded you. And decades later, you can still remember that comment. Because words have that kind of power. But at the same time, you could probably think of somebody who maybe was the one who said, hey, you can do it. In the difference that that made in their story. Because words are powerful. So the challenge is to us to be that voice of encouragement. To be that voice of Maybe it's truth, but truth and kindness. To be that voice that says, hey, let me say something here that will bring life to you. We have that potential and we have that responsibility. Mark also made a point that I thought was really interesting here. He said that Proverbs is about living with wisdom. And you could also say it this way, Proverbs is about living skillfully. And so as Solomon writes that book, he's saying, here are some truths that you could take, you could put them into your life, and it will help you live skillfully. And isn't it interesting when he says you want to live skillfully, that he just over and over and over again hits the idea of here's what you should say. Here's what you should say. Here are the words that you should use. Here's the here's what your speech should sound like. Because the words that we use determine to a large extent, the path that our life takes, the success of our life, and, and the blessings of our life. And so this is the point here. The better your words, the better your life. You want your life to go better? Say better things. It's that simple. And the book of Proverbs is great, I think, because it has so many things that tell us about speech. This is one of my favorites. I just included it. I don't even remember if Mark used it or not. Oops, sorry. I'm way ahead of myself. Let me just read this verse. It says this in Proverbs 22.11, One who loves a pure heart and who speaks with grace will have the king for a friend. So if you learn to speak with grace, guess what? The king will be your friend. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? That the people in life that matter the most, if you'll learn to speak grace, they will be part of your relationships and a great challenge to us. Well, last week we looked at a new coach. That was the Apostle Paul, and this is what he said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 29. He said, let no corrupting, and sometimes we read that no corrupt, but it's actually accurate, no corrupting speech, because not only is it corrupt, it affects everybody around us. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as as good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by the things that you're saying. And so this leads us to the next point that we can learn from Paul as a coach, which is this, your faith should inform your words. In the whole of chapter um the whole last part of chapter 4 in Ephesians is Paul saying, hey, you've come to Christ. And because you've come to Christ, you have this new life and this new faith, it should change the way that you talk. It should change the way that you work. 
It should change the way that you uh, have your relationships. And he goes through this list of different ways that you should be changed, but he really hammers on this idea of how you talk. In fact, he goes after it in four different ways in that passage. But the point is, if we have a relationship with God, if we know Jesus Christ, if the Holy Spirit's living inside of us, it should inform the words that come out of our mouths. And that people who listen to us talk, who listen to the things that we say and the way that we say them, should be able to look at us and go, you know what? There's something different about you. You don't talk like everybody else. What's up with that? That's the point here. Our faith should inform our words. When Jesus changes us, He changes our attitudes, our desires, our thoughts, our behavior, and He should be changing our words too. I was in my office this week and the phone rang and usually it gets picked up in the, in the outer office and everybody was gone for the day and everybody's gone for the day and if it rings through to my extension, I usually just let it go and for some reason, why? I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to answer it today. So I pick it up and I'm like, hello? And it was somebody like, hello, are you the pastor? I'm like, oh, yes I am. And then I knew I was in trouble. And they're like, well, we're calling from such and such organization and we just like to, we're doing a survey of some pastors and hey, could you answer a few questions for me? And I was like, sure. 25 questions in, I realized that few was not the truth. And I could tell we were getting nowhere close to the end. And I started to be like, you know what? This is the thought going through my head at that time. You know, you just called and you didn't really tell me the truth about what you're doing here. And I'm kind of teched right now because you're wasting a lot of time. I was working on something else. And you know what? How about if we just end this conversation and I say something like, you know, I really don't have time for this. Thanks for calling. God bless you. Bye. And I'm just getting ready to do that. And I'm like, remembering back to the sermon on Sunday where some guy is up front talking about your faith should inform your words. And I'm like, and I thought, you know what? I guess for another 10 minutes here, I can just sit and answer the questions. And I made it without saying anything rude. I did ask her, could we speed up a little bit? And uh, she was good with that. But you know, our faith should show up in the things that we say. You know, here's another point that Paul made last week as we looked at it. It's not enough to avoid saying the wrong thing. We need to choose to say the right thing. When we're having trouble with our tongue, with the words that we say, whether it's the specific words or the types of things that we say, it's not enough just to say, well, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to be a critic anymore. I'm not going to complain anymore. I'm not going to gossip anymore. It's where we start to replace and we start to replace with words that give grace where we say, you know what? I'm going to be a cheerleader. I'm going to be the encourager. I'm going to be the one who has something good to say in this situation. I'm going to be the one that brings people together instead of the one that divides. And so it's a reminder to us in our speech that it's not enough to avoid saying the wrong words. We need to choose to say the right words. Well, that brings us to a new coach that we haven't talked about, and his name is David, and I think it's a little bit ironic because this is literally the king's speech that we're going to look at here in Psalm chapter 14. By the way, isn't this great? The words we say are to be gifts of grace. The words we say are to be gifts of grace. Are the things that come out of your mouth, are they gifts to people? It's what they're supposed to be. 
Here's what the king says. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And David says a lot of things about speech. In fact, if you want to use the growth guide this week, we look at several of the passages where David had to say something, uh, had something to say about the words that come out of our mouths. But here's the important things from this. Just two this morning. First of all, this. We must learn to live with a filter. And what David is saying here is, God, I want the things that come out of my mouth. In fact, I even want the things that I'm thinking about to be acceptable in your sight. I want those things to be filtered. And this is a really, really important idea for us. And this is something that we can all do. The basic idea is this. Stop and think before we let it fly. Sometimes we're like, well, I'll just say what I'm thinking. That's the kind of person I am. Well, there's good news. You don't have to be that kind of person. Because God can help you with that. And my guess is when you do that, you do damage to yourself, to others, to your reputation, and actually, as we looked at last week, to the Holy Spirit. And so David says, hey, here's how we do this. We put a filter out there. But you know what I love about the filter? It's just a prayer. Oh God, let the words of my mouth. In fact, let the things that I'm even thinking about, oh, maybe they'd be accepting in your sight, because if they are to you, they're going to be to everybody else. Well, there's things that are sad, and, and this is not unique to me, but here's some filters for you. Things to ask yourself before you say it. First of all, is it true? If you don't know that it's true, it should never be said. Because if you can't back it up, it has the damage, uh, the, the potential to do a lot of damage, doesn't it? Is it helpful? We say a lot of things that may be true, but they're not particularly helpful. Do they need to be said? Probably not. Is it inspiring? It's just, you know, picking up this idea of being encouraging or uplifting or, or cheering people on or giving them some life. Is it necessary? Is it kind? Paul said that last week, right? Should be kind. We can look at this list a little bit like this and maybe it'll help you remember it. Think. Before you speak, think, is this true? Is this helpful? Is this inspiring? Is this necessary? Is this kind? And this is not unique to me. You can find this anywhere. But it's a good reminder, isn't it, that our words are to be filtered. And maybe that needs to be our prayer then, but there's a second thing here too. It's to remember that God is our ultimate audience. God knows every word that we speak, every word that we speak, and every thought that's behind those words and the heart that's behind those thoughts. And even if we fool somebody else, we don't fool God. He gets it. He hears it. In fact, you can go all the way back there to to, um, Jesus. That phrase that he said there about... um, Out of the goodness of our heart, we say good things. And out of the badness of our heart, we say bad things. He says in the next verse in Matthew chapter 12, he says, I tell you this, that every man will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word that they have spoken. There it is. Men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word that they have spoken. That's a scary verse. 
Every word. And so our filters are important. You know, if you look at Psalm 19, which is the verse that we looked at for um, David there, Psalm 1914, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. At the beginning of that chapter, David says this, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies declare the work of His hands. And he gets to the end of this chapter, and what is he actually saying? He says, you know what? Just like nature brings praise to God and declares God's worth, that's what our conversations are supposed to do. The words that come out of our mouth are supposed to bring praise and glory to God Himself. And so, I guess you can add this to the list of is it thoughtful, helpful, inspiring, necessary, and kind? Is it God-honoring? Because if it's not, it's probably not worth saying. So, we talked about speech coaches here this morning. And we talked about what Jesus said and what James said and what Solomon said and what Paul said and here what David has to say. Here's what I want to ask you to do. And if you've got your growth guide out and you're taking notes and you're outlining, great. If not, it's in your bulletin. Pull it out right now if you would. Or if you're using your phone, that's fine too. We put up 10, 12 pieces of advice that your speech coach would give you. So my question for you this morning as we conclude is, which one of these coaches needs to be yours right now in your life? And which piece of advice do you really need to lock into? And I would encourage you to find one or two or at the maximum three. But to say, you know what? This week, this is going to be my advice. You know, there's this crazy thing in life that we all have the ability to make decisions ahead of time. And we can even make decisions about the things that we will say or not say ahead of time. And if we'll do that, when the moment comes, well, it's a whole lot more likely that we'll say the things that are pleasing and honoring to God. So what's it going to be? What's your coach? Who's your coach? What's the advice for you to follow?